Hello. We are so glad that you could join us today. Our prayer is that as you listen to the word, you would take this time to draw nearer to God as an individual and as a family. God loves you so so much, and his desire is for you to get closer to him in this season through worship, through dwelling in his word and prayer. I want to greet you this morning and uh last week of course uh was a week of celebration for me. Uh, I am absolutely thrilled at the uh, testimonies, the uh, cards, the gifts, the things that have come towards me from each of you. Your love and your outpouring of love uh, really explains to me and shows me how powerful our relationships are, how powerful the body of Christ is. And with that in mind, you know, this week I uh, was dealing with some of the pastors and leaders in the country, uh, and then with a host of people, from medical profession to builders to uh, you name it. And uh, I was confronted this week by a number of people who are in the process of attempting to make sense of the policies around this COVID shutdown, and, and a number of issues that seem to be plaguing our nation and the world at this time. And I was shocked as I read and listened to their arguments and their discussions. Uh, the end result of the discussion kind of left me feeling like I was some kind of an evil person, or as one person described me, they said, you're a conspiracy theorist. And that was simply because I held a differing point of view to those whose uh, points of view were only repeating what official organs like the WHO, the CDC, the big pharmaceutical cartels, and things like that were saying. And the issues that we were talking about were around the efficacy of mask wearing, vaccines, the totalitarian autocratic decisions that are being handed down by leaders. And most of these leaders have lost all credibility to influence their nations, let alone us. We started talking about the politicization of a disease and a so-called pseudoscience of medical intervention tied to some kind of economic agenda. And uh, then we start talking about how much uh, in the last few years, the idea of a global reset of world currencies, of world currencies and economies is tied to this agenda. And, and as I'm talking about these things, uh, it's like I was being, uh, you know, uh, if I could say it, it's like I wasn't woke enough and, 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 and they were shutting me down and they had, well, don't you know what the, and, and just parroting things. They're not thinking. I didn't feel like they were thinking, but they're running for cover to be politically correct. As we were discussing some of these things, uh, we were talking about how some of the greatest proponents of the vaccines were also the ones that were invested in owning the patents to the disease and the cure. But those were, they're also the same voices that are the leading voices for population control. Now, I question too much collusion. I question the effectiveness of masks in general, uh, but especially in Africa. Uh, we're not a compliant with masks, and we've shut down our nation for a thousand deaths, officially. But let me tell you something, I'm already working with medical people, and I know that we have more people dying of diseases that can be treated. And if we would really look at the numbers, this so-called pandemic and the, and the way we're reacting to it is actually hurting people more than the, and the way we're treating it is more than we're helping them. This is a problem. This is really a problem. 
And here's the point today. I don't say that I'm right. I don't think that because I have differing point of view or I'm strong on questioning the authority of these pseudo-governmental non-elected officials that have exalted and elevated science above common sense. Uh, because I have questions and I'm a questioner, it doesn't make me evil and it sure doesn't make me a conspiracy theorist. In fact, I think that some of the conspiracies that we were talking about five, six years ago are no longer conspiracies. They're not theories, they're reality. And so my point is, I think we should be able to at least have these discussions without dividing over them. I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but from time to time I believe we need to ask ourselves some questions. When we look all around that's transpiring in the world and in our nation, we need to take pause and we need to ask ourselves some serious questions. One such question I think we need to ask ourselves is, what should we as Christians, or what should be a Christian's response to all of this stuff that is happening. David asked himself, and the readers of the Psalms, the question, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? In a day when the moral foundations of our country, and quite frankly the world, are being destroyed, we as believers, are we willing to ask ourselves and each other, what can we as Christians do? This morning I want to suggest three things. Three things that I think we need to look at. Number one, we have to understand that there is a standard of morality. Jesus was asked by the chief priests and the elders in Matthew chapter 21, verse 33, by what authority do you do these things? Uh, Jesus responded with a question. He asked them, he says, the baptism of John, where was it from? Was it from heaven or from men? What Jesus was saying is that there are basically two possible sources for authority. It either comes from heaven or it comes from men. Now, if you and I take a minute and look at what's happening in the world today, it's glaringly evident what source of authority our society is operating from. We live in a world much like the nation of Israel during the days of the judges. We are told in the book of Judges in a number of passages that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Most of the people in the society of Israel during that time, the time of the judges, they weren't concerned about God or doing what God said to do. In fact, most of the society wasn't even interested in knowing what God said to do. People simply lived whatever they thought was right, just like so much of what we see today. Now, herein lies the problem. If each of us is free to determine his or own, her own values, then who's to say that one way of life is better than another? Who's to say that what is right or what is wrong? It's kind of like trying to organize a football game where every player serves as his own referee. See, in a world like that, everything becomes a matter of opinion, and there's nothing you can really depend upon. It appears to me that we've come to this same place in the world that we live in today, the world of do your own thing, gender fluidity, cancel culture, being woke, and alternative lifestyles. The prophet Isaiah described what this kind of world looks like. In Isaiah 5 verse 20 he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. 
See, I, I want to remind us all of something. In the midst of a society like this, and, and, and this kind of a worldview, we must understand that there is a standard for determining what is right and what is wrong. You know, I, I heard about some guys up at Lake Kariba who came upon a massive crocodile, and they began debating about which sex it was. Now, several theories were postulated as to which sex grew larger and all kinds of things. As the debate heated up, they began arguing about whether it was a female crocodile or a male crocodile. Finally, one of the guys could see that it was getting a bit too heated, and he had a suggestion. He said, I'll tell you what, let's vote on it. Well, now we can laugh at that story, and we can determine that their vote didn't determine, nor did it change, that crocodile's gender. And yet, some people assume today that if the people in our society agree on something, and if a majority are in favor of it, then it must be true. See, we've developed a very dangerous precedent that says if we can get enough voices, or if we can get the media, or if we can get government, or somebody else to push an agenda or an issue, then it must be real. But common sense tells us that life doesn't work that way. Truth is truth, even if we unanimously think another way. For example, if our society decides to kill unborn children, or to accept homosexuality and adultery, as a legitimate lifestyle, we haven't made, haven't we just made such ungodly behaviors right? No, we haven't. We've just granted people permission to choose that which is wrong. But as Solomon says in Proverbs 14, 12, he says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. You see, I believe at the heart of all the moral controversies in this nation and around the world, there's one crucial issue. The question is whether our society will pursue a course in which the wisdom of man is the highest wisdom that we can count on, or will we rather turn to God, the Creator, for His counsel? Jeremiah 10, 23. O Lord, I know that the way of a man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. You see, our standard of right and wrong must be the word of God. Jesus said it best when he prayed in John 17 and 17. He said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. See, underneath all the questions in our society surrounding honesty and corruption, integrity or the lack thereof, morality or promiscuous sexual conduct, respect towards life or violence, there lies one basic moral decision. Which standard will we turn to for the management of our lives? Are we willing to accept God's standard as our standard? Are we just going to let every man turn to his own way? Unfortunately, the very thought of returning to God and his standards scares a lot of people in our society. Uh, God and the, the Bible have been depicted by the woke and so-called scientific society as no longer being relevant in this modern post-Christian 21st century. We're being told that it's old-fashioned and that the Word of God no longer speaks to issues and matters that we are facing in this age. We're told that biblical values just don't have much to do with our lives anymore. Many people view the Bible as an old, outdated list of do's and don'ts that God laid down just to see if people would obey Him. You see, according to this view, God's desire, apparently, is to make life as miserable and intolerable for us as possible. Yet, truth be told, we are seeing 
the world beginning to devolve. And the further we remove ourselves from the owner's manual, the more broken mankind and society become. In fact, we have seen the dechristianization of Europe since the 1940s and in the last 30 years, we can see the moral decline of America as the culture has been uh, led away from the standard of uh, the Word of God, with the things that God raised up as the truth. The, the agenda to destroy the morality of the world isn't by chance. It's been done by design and on purpose. It's, it's a plan. It's a plan that's been set out in many documents, documents by world agencies, documents by satanic-inspired people, documents inspired by people who do not believe that man is anything more than a, an animal and therefore can be rid of. In fact, there's a whole agenda now called the transhumanist agenda, the machine age, where men are just to now be integrated to machines. In fact, we're supposed to integrate with machines, and machines are going to be the new age, the age that will serve us, but in turn we will serve them. And in fact, man probably isn't important as we evolve, and therefore we probably need less men on the earth to protect the earth, to protect the planet. Now, who's making those decisions? These are agendas, and we must understand that they are anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-God's creation. God made man the center of his universe. The agenda to destroy the morality of the world, like I said before, is not by chance. It's being done by design and on purpose. You see, we've also allowed language to be changed and definitions to be perverted. And by redefining words and ideas, we have begun to politicize and weaponize ideas and ideals against those who do not accept or conform to the woke cancel culture. We're, beginning, we're being told that ultimate freedom is to choose what we want to do in any and all circumstances. Now, since religion seems to place restrictions on choice, religion has become a negative word in our language. There's an attack against Christianity throughout the world. We are supposed to tolerate all religions as being equal and accept the idea that all religions are the same and that all roads lead to God. But therein lies the problem. We've redefined that word tolerance. The original definition of tolerance was the capacity to endure or the act of enduring. This meant that although you may or may not agree with someone or their point of view, you would be tolerant and endure their point of view. The modern usage of tolerance is the ability to accept the views, beliefs, or behaviors of others that differ from your own. Now, there's a big difference between accepting the beliefs of others and enduring the beliefs of others. If I don't accept your belief, I'm deemed to be intolerant. And intolerance is a crime, punishable by anyone who might be offended by my belief or my conviction. So if I believe that there are only two sexes, which is true science based on X and Y genes and chromosomes, I'm intolerant in the eyes of a male who happens to be identifying as a female or in a woke society that is now saying that you and I must simply accept whatever the latest emotional or pseudoscientific finding is, or that is being espoused, or that will be canceled or cyberbullied by being and being called intolerant, or being even worse, a conspiracy theorist. 
Faith and religion no longer seem to belong in a society that once embraced Judaic or Judeo-Christian practices as its guidelines. Today, every man does what is right in his own eyes. You see, as believers in Jesus, we've been called to be salt and light to a putrefying and darkened world. We, we must continue to hold up the standard that God had in mind from the very beginning of time. God didn't put laws and statutes and decrees in the Bible so that he could punish us when we break them. No, he laid them out as blueprints for men to live so that we would live blessed and prosperous lives. They're his guidelines for living our lives. Understand something. Moral questions are not decided by public opinions. Rather, it is essential that we begin any discussion about morals and standards by asking the question, what was God's original intention and design for mankind in this situation? There is a standard, and God set it forth. If we'll seek it, we'll find it. You see, the one who, has, who made us is the one who gave us the standard. His holiness and the life of his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the standard by which choices are made. <laughs> no matter how many people may be choosing the wisdom of mankind, we must, with intentionality, choose to build our lives on the wisdom of God. We need to understand that God didn't just give us the Bible. No, he came to earth, lived as a man, and demonstrated for us the life he wanted us to live through his son, Jesus Christ. This way of life is depicted and described for you and I in the New Testament. Folks, it's important that we raise the standard and we live by this standard. Number two. The Bible says, don't be conformed to this world. Romans 12, verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. You see, it's evident from this passage of Scripture that Christians should not allow the world to set the standard for us. But rather, you and I, we should be following or we should be setting the standard of God or following the standard of God's word. You see, when we allow ourselves to conform to the world, the end result is that we dress no differently, talk no differently, live no differently from the world around us. The values and standards of the world become our values and our standards. We are in a warfare. We have to understand this. And we have to fight now for our families. We have to fight for our friends and our lives. We cannot allow ourselves to be conformed to this world. There's, there, there's, there's a word used in the Bible that describes our commitment to live differently. It's the word holiness. Peter wrote his first epistle to the, a group of people uh, struggling with the same problems that you and I are facing. They lived in a society that was immoral. It was corrupt. And, and listen to what Peter's instructions. In 1 Peter 2, verses 14 through 16, he says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in, you, as in, as, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Now, the idea of holiness suggests something or someone that is different, somebody that's set apart from others. You see, the challenge of holiness is a powerful influence in a believer's life. It's not so much that we want to be different from others, because it's only natural that we should want to conform. It's certainly not the case that we just want to be difficult and contrary. Rather, we have an obligation to be different 
from the people of the world because of the commitment that we have made to God. We are to be holy because he's holy. Paul made a beautiful comparison in Ephesians 5 between a husband and a wife and Christ and his church. He said in Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, it's said that in ancient Greece, a bride-to-be would be taken down to the river to be bathed. This was representational of her being ceremonial, ceremonially cleansed from every defilement of her past, of her past life. Whatever her life had been before, it was symbolic or symbolically purified. And she would enter into this new marriage or into this marriage without any moral or any social blemish. In fact, it represented her past being washed away. Well, that same thing happens to those of us who are Christians at the point of our baptism. The sins of our past were washed away. You see, we have the responsibility to maintain lives of purity and holiness, just as a wife is expected to do so in her own marriage. Those of us who are Christians, we have to make a commitment to live lives of holiness, regardless of how the world all around us may be living. I want to challenge us today to choose that path of holiness. As a church, God gave us a mandate about called Reformation and Transformation. And my third point is that we've been given a mandate to change the world. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This passage is really important for us to understand. It helps us understand the true nature of Christianity, especially in our present day. Jesus said, those who are my disciples should affect the world in a positive manner by the way in which they live. Yeah, all too often, we allow the world to change us. Or at very best, we sit on the sidelines and do nothing to make a positive impact on the world. I think we sometimes make the mistake of thinking that because the world is so rotten, so bad, a Christian should try to just disassociate himself from the world as much as possible, retreating, not necessarily to a monastery, but at least within the walls of the church building or within the walls of my own house and my own family. We kind of have this idea that we should just let the world continue on its path to hell. But Jesus said this. He says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. See, Jesus was very practical. He knew that we couldn't escape the world. He says, you are, the apostle said, he says, you live in this world, but you are not of this world. The church has to exist in the world. And in fact, it serves a positive purpose by doing so. As Jesus clearly pointed out in the Sermon on the Mount, a Christian is to be a preserving force in the world. Wherever we find ourselves, salt 
didn't do any good in those old days if it was kept on one shelf and the meat was kept on another shelf. No, 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 no. It, to be effective, the salt had to be rubbed into the meat, much like our biltong today. You have to spice it up in order to hang it to keep it from becoming putrefied. In a similar way, Christians must allow God to rub us into the world. That means that we have to be Christians at work, Christians in politics, Christians at home, Christians in school, and Christians everywhere else that our normal life in society would take us. Does that mean that we are always going to be effective? Does that mean that we are always going to influence others around us to do what is right? No. Listen to what Peter told those Christians that he was encouraging to live a holy life. First Peter 4, 2-4, it says, And he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in licentiousness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. What Peter is saying is that living a moral Christian life will cause those you associate with to think you're kind of strange. They may make fun of you. They may ridicule you. But Peter says, don't let it change your efforts to live a holy life for God. You see, as believers, we need to be willing to speak up when the occasion calls for it. We should be uh, willing to take a stand and stand up for what's right. You see, the world is automatically just going to listen and pay attention to what's going on in the world. They're, they're not listening to anybody else. And I'm not so naive as to believe that I have all the answers. But I know the problem is not with the messenger or with the message. The problem is with the hearers. Most are simply unwilling to hear what we have to say or common sense has to say. But we need to keep on giving the message. And those who have ears to hear will hear. Jesus often spoke in parables, but sometimes he spoke using blunt language to those, especially in power in his day, the scribes and the Pharisees. Oh, the truth wasn't received very well by them either. But why didn't Jesus choose to be more politically correct in his language? Why didn't he take a more moderate stance? Well, you know, if he had done that, maybe been a little less bold, he would have been more popular. He would have been more well-received. Perhaps if he had just gently shown the people the truth, they would have recognized their mistakes and changed. No. We learn from Jesus that there comes a time when we need to take a stand for what is right, even if that stand is unpopular. The story is an old one that has been heard many times before, but it still conveys an important lesson. The story involves a, a Midwesterner who is vacationing on the New England coast in America, and one morning, very early, she's walking along the beach. The sun is still well below the horizon. and The rain had ended and the sea was calm. And while enjoying the beauty about her, she glances down at the beach and she sees this young man. He's skipping and frolicking and, is, and, and he's kind of like performing some ritual dance to celebrate the dawn. Fascinated, she moves closer. As she approached, she realized the young man was not dancing at all. He's picking up objects and tossing them into the sea. Soon she realized that these objects were starfish. She asked the young man, why are you throwing starfish into the sea? He said, the tide is going to go out, and if they're still here when the sun rises, they'll die. And he continued tossing them. She said, that's ridiculous. There are thousands of miles of beach and millions of starfish. You can't really believe that what you're doing could possibly make a difference. He smiled, 
bent over and picked up another starfish, paused thoughtfully and remarked as he tossed it into the waves, it makes a difference for this one. But I'll tell you what, you and I can't change the whole world. I can't change it. You can't change it. Perhaps not all at once. But you can change it one starfish, one person at a time. And you can make a difference in somebody's life. When you and I take a stand for what is right, you and I are making a difference. Our voice is being heard. And when you say something, it's really what you're saying is that I intend to follow God. So in conclusion, there's three things I want us to keep in mind. Number one, first of all, we need to remember that there's a standard, a standard of morality that clearly defines right and wrong. This standard is found in the Word of God. Secondly, choose, make a choice, not to conform, but we need to make a commitment to not be like the world. And thirdly, we need the courage to take the message of transformation and reformation to those in our spheres of influence. We have to choose to make the effort to change the world around us. We can be a leavening influence on society that will begin to lead our nation back to faith in God. Lead our families back to faith in God. Lead those that we have influence over back to faith in God. I don't know where you're at this morning. You're listening to the sound of my voice. You've tuned in. But are you hearing? Some people listen, but they don't hear. My hope today is that you're hearing. My hope today is that God would stir your heart, stir you to stand for a standard, stir you to not be conformed, and stir you to take your place to help even one starfish. If you're listening this morning and maybe God's speaking to you about your own life, your own situation, your own need for Christ or salvation, there's some numbers on the screen right there. Write that number down. Those people are there almost all day. You can call that number. Somebody will be on the other end of that line. That either they can help you or they can get you to somebody that can help you. We have pastors and we have uh, counselors and we have all kinds of people that, just like you, are walking this life out. We're trying to live holy lives. We're trying to live lives that give a hope and a future for our families, for our next generation. Maybe you are struggling with some kind of a addiction or some kind of a sin that has overtaken you. You're embarrassed. You don't know where to turn. Boy, I'll tell you, the hardest thing to do is get help sometimes. Uh, but somebody on the other end of that line can get you to a pastor where you can get some confidential help and counseling. And I had a number of couples that have come to me during this COVID crisis and yeah, their marriages are suffering because they just didn't develop the skills necessary to be in proximity to each other this length of time. Now that'll either build your marriage or it'll break it. And we're believing that if we can get some tools in your hand, we can help you save your marriage. We have people today that are abusing their children. They hate themselves for it, the guilt the condemnation. We have people today that are out of control in other areas of their lives. Temptation has seemed to just swallow them up. We have people that are fearful. You know, I've said this many times. Most of the people I know didn't die of COVID. They died of the fear. 
The fear gripped them, and the fear was worse. That's why we need each other more than ever. We need to support one another. If somebody has COVID, don't run away from them. Run to them. They recover. Not everybody's dying. We're going to get through this. But if we listen to all the pundits, they're going to use this to shut everything down and leave us in fear. Fear is a great controlling factor. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, of strength, and a sound mind. If you're in fear today, call us. Call somebody on that line. We want to give you the scriptures. We want to help you. In fact, we have an affirmation series that will help you get through fear, help you get through sickness, help you get through defeat. God himself will let his word be your standard. I love you. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask that you really consider these three points that I gave you today. Father, as I pray for those under the sound of my voice, I'm asking, Lord, that you would stir us to the right kind of action. That, Father, we would be that people, a peculiar people, a holy people, a holy nation, set apart for our God. But, Father, we know that that doesn't look good in a very carnal and worldly world. But, Father, we're not seeking this world. We are in this world, but we know we're not of it. Help us to come to the reality of who you are, what you can do in our lives. Father, bless each hearer. Cause your grace to be mighty on their lives today. Give us the ability to respond to truth. Stand for truth. Raise it as a standard. Give us the ability to conform our lives, to transform our lives and not be conformed to this world. And then, Father, help us to help others. One starfish at a time. Amen. We love you. God bless you. We'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that you were blessed and that God will continue to transform your life in this season. If you have a testimony or need prayer and counseling, please send a WhatsApp or a call me to plus 263-784-303900 or plus 263-784-303900. 717-459999. We want to hear from you. And we're here for you and are ready to listen to you, to pray for you, and to celebrate with you. So thank you. We love you and stay safe.